All right, good morning. Great to have you here. Um, we are in our second week of a uh, new series on the book of Genesis. And so if you, um, if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back and um, watch it online or listen to it because um, it you know, gave a little bit of an overview in how we're approaching it. And uh, today we're into, into uh, you know, the second, you know, second stop and we're basically going to look at the rest of the creation story in um, Genesis chapter one. And um, we're gonna focus, focus on creation theories this morning, but I want you to know, I don't think that's the main focus of chapter one. It's, it's, it's God's creation story, but uh, as we talked about last week, we gotta remember, okay, who was this written to? Who wrote it? Um, Genesis is the first book of the Torah or the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of, um, of the Bible written by Moses. Moses wrote all five of those. Uh, when did he write them? He wrote them after God used him to help free the Israelites from captivity in Egypt. They had been there for 400 years, okay? And so they were freed from enslavement. They were supposed to go to the promised land. It the most would take a year to um, do that journey and inhabit the promised land that was promised to them by God um, to Abraham, okay? And so as descendants of Abraham, they, they're gonna go take their rightful place. And, um, but because of their lack of faith in God, it took 40 years, and, which is a d disaster. So it was like, okay, um, God, all the adult, God's saying, all the adults who had lack of faith in me, we're gonna wait till you die off and your kids are gonna possess the land. And in that 40 years, somewhere in there, Moses wrote the Pentateuch. And here, here I believe, was his thinking. He was thinking, we just left Egypt. Egypt is full of false gods. Um, you know, our people have been hearing all kinds of worldviews that are much different than the one God has declared to us. And we're about to go into a land, the promised land, Canaan, in which is just entirely full of all kinds of other false views of God and worldviews. And so we need to get grounded in who God says he really is and the hope that we can have in him and why he's trustworthy and who does he say we are and who does he say this world is around us? And it answers big questions. So, so Genesis answers big questions. Who's God? Um, who are we? Why are we here? Is, are we created with a plan and purpose? What is that purpose? And why, what, what's going on with this world? Why is it there's so much evil and things so messed up, yet at the same time, such beauty? And so how do you explain all this? And so Genesis gives us the foundation, the, the basics of answering those questions. And that's what Moses is doing when he's writing the Pentateuch, is he is regrounding God's people into what God says about himself and them and the world around him. So he starts with a creation account. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right, so right out of the gate, he is talking to us. Now this was written for those people in the desert, 1500 BC, all right? It was written to them but it's also written for us. 
All right, and so we, we want to know what can we understand? What was God communicating? Well, we have to understand what was Moses trying to communicate to the original readers? And, and that was the truth. That is the meaning. And yet that meaning has profound impact on our own lives because as we study who God is and who we are and who the world is around us, it dramatically impacts how we, we think, love, and live. And so, um, so that's what's happening here as we get into this, this creation account. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth as saying, you know, before time, matter, space, God existed. And then God made matter. God made time, seasons, space. And, and therefore, he, is, he lived outside of time. God um, is eternal. And then we start looking at what the Bible says about that creation account. We realize that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were all there. And so God from eternity past existed, one God and three persons. And within his personhood, he had beautiful harmony and, and, and community. And so he didn't spend eternity past really lonely and say, I got to create somebody. I got to create somebody to be my friend. No, he had that beautiful harmony in relationship and so he makes a divine decision to create in order to share the beauty of the relationship and community that he's been experiencing. And so he makes a place where he can inhabit with his image bearers and they can enjoy the beauty of being in harmony with God and with each other. And that's the point of creation. Now, um, today we're going to look at how he did it. And yet, as we've already said, the point of it is who did it and why he did it. All right? Who and why. And yet, um, Christians today, we, we tend to kind of get fixated on how. On how. But we've got to remember, who is he writing to and why was he writing to them and what was the point? And that needs to shape how we read Genesis, all right? And so um, let, let's go ahead and read um, through the creation account, and I'm just going to skip through there. Each day we're going we're to look at just a couple sentences. Uh, day one is verse three, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Now day two, down to verse six. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Okay, so that's atmosphere and seas and the expanse and sky. Uh, day three, verse nine. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. So we're talking about lands and seas. And then verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetations uh, vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is seed, um, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. And so that's day three, land, sea, vegetation. Day four, uh, verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years in verse 16, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And so you, you'll notice day one, he created light and darkness. And yet in day four, he created 
sun, moon, sky, stars. Um, so that's interesting. So that, that's one of the problems that as we look through Genesis one and two, it's like, okay, how do, how do, we, how do we figure this out? What is, what is this saying? How does this mean? And it's one of the reasons for over 2000 years, um, the theories of, of creation have been debated. And so we'll get into that a little bit later. But day five now, verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So sea life and birds. In day six, verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their, to their kinds. And it was so. In verse 27, kind of the, the, um, the ultimate of the creation week is so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so uh, I, I just want to stop just to recognize, hey, this week is um, MLK weekend. And these verses right here regarding the creation of man and that man was, humanity was created in the image of God says that every person is of supreme value and worth to God. And therefore, we have no place and no right to allow or think that you know, injustice carried out on another is okay, because it's not. And we have no right to think that anybody is lesser because of where they live or how much they make or what their ethnicity is or, or what their race is. That, that we are of extreme value in the eyes of God in the foundations of how we see each other and treat each other come from our understanding of creation and how God especially created humanity in his own image. And there's unique value and worth there. And so um, next week, we're actually going to spend most of the week or most of the um, Sunday just talking about God's unique creation of humanity and what and the implications of that. Okay, so now we've gone through those six days. On the seventh day, it says, and God rested. He said it was good, and God rested. And so what does that mean? Because um, we know God is kind of doesn't get tired. You know, it's, it's not, it's, it, you know, he goes out and he does all of this, and you think, man, that sounds like a busy week. I'm exhausted just hearing about it. And, but, but God has unlimited power and energy. Whatever he uses to... Um, to do his work, whatever power he uses, it doesn't deplete what he has because he has unlimited resource. And so, okay, so God rested. So that may mean something a little bit different than what we, we think of when we think of um, rest. So now we're gonna jump into um, theories of how God created, all right? Now, last week I made a case where I, I said, how is not the real issue of this creation account? Who and why is? What are we learning about God? What are we learning about ourselves? Why did he do it? All right. That's really, I think, the key thing. But um, uh, we're, we're going to look at the how because it's such a, I mean, it's a common conversation that's happening. And so I, I don't think it's unimportant. 
but I don't think it's of great importance as far as the story of creation, all right? But I want you to be aware of uh, the different theories and where people are coming from um, with those theories. So a, a four-year-old boy comes up to his mom one day and says, uh, Mom, um, where do I come from? And mom is just petrified. Because she's going, I know this, I, I knew this conversation was going to happen someday, but four? Are you serious? I mean, so she's just thinking in her mind, how do I explain birds, of the, birds and the bees concepts to a four-year-old? And so she just starts talking. And, um, and actually, it came out better than she anticipated. And she was, I think I kind of brought this down to his level. And I think I kind of nailed that. Until he just walks away, you know, very unsatisfied and, and mumbles to himself, well, Johnny said he came from Indiana. <laughs> you know, she, she, was, she was doing her best answering the question, but she was answering the wrong question. If only she had known. She would have been off the hook and it would have been much easier. And I think when we're coming with our modern mindset of science and, um, and matter and looking at, you know, how did we get here in the midst of all this matter and the theories around it that we're constantly um, introduced to, when we look at creation story, we're thinking matter. We're thinking how, matter. And I think that's, that's, the, wrong, that's the wrong how. Okay, and so I, I think really it's okay. What did God try to create or try to communicate about Himself to us in in the creation account? And so there are different theories, and these theories are not new. Most of them are not new. The newest ones are based on science. All right, um, but most of the creation accounts and the theories about how God did it go back. Almost 2,000 years. Some of them go back over 2,000 years. And there's been debate. And here's the deal. This is what I want you to remember as we go into this today is all of them are believers in Jesus who believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and is true. All right? So this is an in-house conversation. People who are, who are marching shoulder to shoulder as followers of Jesus and are on mission with him have different perspectives when it comes to what the how of creation was. And, um, and it's, it shouldn't divide us, although some people want it to divide us, but it shouldn't, all right? Because it's not the main thing. And, and we are all on this journey together. And here's a, um, Bill Colton gave me this um, quote that he found this week from the Life Application Study Bible on Genesis 1.1. And it says, biblical view of creation is not in conflict with science. Rather, it is in conflict with any worldview that starts without a creator. All right, so we're not, I'm not gonna look at, that, at uh, natural evolution today and uh, look at that as a, uh, as a theory because that starts without a creator. All right, and so I'm going to look at theories and views that believe God created. I believe there's a, you know, with, without God, we would not exist. I believe God created, and you created with a purpose, and you created um, this world for us 
to enjoy a relationship with him and to be in his presence and be at harmony with him and each other. And um, so we're starting from there. But then it's, okay, how do you explain all this? All right? So um, the first one I wanted to throw up here for you is one of the most common ones if you're a follower of Jesus and you've been taught things about creation for a while. You've probably heard this one. And it was the one as a, as a young follower of Jesus. It's the only one that I heard. Okay? And it is young earth creation. Okay? Young earth creation. And it, I'm, I'm going to tell you some things that kind of distinguish it from other perspectives. It's saying that the earth is, is young. It's less than 10,000 years old. And they get this primarily from um, a man named um, Bishop James Usher in the 1600s who took the genealogies that are found in the Bible and stacked them up and said, hey, if we just work backwards, we can, we can work back to Adam. And so he does that and he came up with, you know, probably around 4,000 BC, Adam was created. And so therefore we have a young, young earth. And so that's kind of the timing for a young earth is birthed out of that study in genealogies, all right? So they look at it and they say, hey, this is just a literal, easy reading of Genesis 1 and 2. Um, you know, it, it's seven 24-hour days. Literally seven 24-hour days is their perspective. Adam and Eve are real people. They're historical people. They're specially created of God. Um, they can say, okay, uh, hey, I can buy into microevolution as um, within species. There's variations within species, but I don't buy into macroevolution that um, says all things, you know, came from one living thing and then the complexity and all the species and everything came out of that um, common, common descent. And, uh, and God created Adam and Eve uniquely. They did not, they weren't a byproduct of macro evolution, um, but they were created with the appearance of age. Okay, so even though day one when they were created, they looked like adults, um, they'd, only lived, they'd only lived for a day. And so that thought is, is taken into the rest of the universe, the rest of the cosmos, and saying that God created it all with the appearance of age. All right? So, and then they lean heavily on uh, Noah's flood to explain a lot of the things that we see in geology today. And so um, the, the great global flood would explain, um, well, one thing that explains is the... Um, the elimination of dinosaurs because of the global change in climate. Um, it explains our fossil records, canyons, mountains, all by this, uh, the great flood. Okay, so uh, today the, the primary voice of this is a man named Ken Ham, and he has a, um, an organiz organization called Answers in Genesis. I'm gonna give you kind of the primary people that are voices of this in our day. And, uh, and I'll give you some who historically have, have been in that camp as well. But um, young earth and old earth connected to evolution are fairly new perspectives. And um, young earth is kind of a, well in the 1600s, it was based on, like I said, um, Bishop Usher. But it's also gathered a lot of um, 
interest because it is pushing up against old earth views of evolution. And so if you want to find out more about it, Institute of Creation, Creation Research, um, Answers in Genesis, Creation Ministries International are all uh, places that, and resources that look at science and says, this is how I think young earth, um, how God did that. Now, a, a concern that I have in this view is how it leans heavily into Bishop James Usher's genealogies. Because in th this is not an uncommon perspective, but, but it's a common view of genealogies in the Bible were very purpose-driven. And so when they were given, it was to say, well, here's the line between this person and this person. Here's the ancestral line. And so when it says, you know, so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so, it's not, it's not saying so-and-so is the son of so-and-so or the father of so-and-so. It's saying this person is in the line of this person. And so generations may have been skipped as it goes from one person to the next, but it's just showing you the line. And an example of that is Matthew 1.8 where it says Joram begat Ozias. Okay, so now if you go back to 2 Kings chapter 8 and chapter 11 and chapter 14, you'll find out that Ozias is not the son of Joram, but he's at least the great, great, great grandson of Joram. Okay, but in Matthew 1.8, it, it, they go back to back. And, um, you know, it's just how they use genealogies was to show lineage, but, but not everybody in the line. And so it, it's kind of a, a weak position to say this is exactly when Adam and Eve was created because, man, we don't know how long those genealogies actually were the way that they were used. And so that's a problem I have in it. And, um, and as you'll find, any, any view of the creation account that's, that's my basis for it is science, I'm a little leery of. Okay, because the temptation then is to go to the Bible to prove my belief. And that, that's, a, that's a dangerous um, way to do it. And it leads you to um, believing things that God's not saying. Okay, that's called eisegesis, is when I believe, bring a belief to Scripture, hoping to prove it. Where we need to go open-handed to Scripture and say, God, what are you saying? And then allow that to shape my perspective. So, um, so that, that danger I have with young earth and old earth. But um, okay, old earth creationism. I wasn't introduced to this until several years in my, in my journey with the Lord. Because, um, because all I was taught was young earth. And, uh, and to my shock and horror, I was in seminary listening to, and if you've been around a while, um, you may know uh, a professor named Dr. Um, what's his name? My good friend, Dr. Ron Allen. Um, he was my Hebrew professor. Uh, he, he was one of the most brilliant people I know um, in the United States regarding the Hebrew language in the Hebrew ancient culture. And uh, he's a brilliant theologian and Hebrew scholar. In fact, he was the editor of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, in the New King James Study Bible. And so really a, a foremost uh, expert in the Hebrew language and ancient culture. And so I'm studying Hebrew with him, trying to study Hebrew with him. And um, we're going over Genesis 1 and 2. And in it, he makes a statement that, you know, as I studied the creation account, um, I, I, I think I'm leaning old earth. 
And when I heard that, my first thought was, Dr. Allen, I thought you were a Christian. You know, because uh, all I'd heard is young earth. But, but then it, it kind of knocked me back on my heels because um, here's a guy who values scripture like none other and knows scripture and, and protects it as the authoritative word of God and is going after its understanding with, 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 a, with a knowledge uh, that I am just jealous of. And I started thinking, man, maybe people have different perspectives. And then I found out that actually this is not new because Genesis one and two, when you're looking at how God created, if you're trying to find how God created out of Genesis one and two, it's, there's problems, there's problems. And so that's why we have all kinds of different, different theories. Okay, so um, probably the most popular old earth perspective is one called intelligent design, okay? Intelligent design or old earth creation is another. By the way, thanks to Aaron Dora, we, we were wrestling through this and Rick Tillman and Tyler and, and it's like, I can't find, just give me a chart that shows the, you know, each of the theories and, and shows the distinctions of each of the theories. And it's like, well, I can't find one either. And it's like, man, you, you have to read their whole book in order to, figure out what they're saying. And, uh, and so last week, Aaron sent me a chart that he made. And uh, it's like, bless you. But it was too big to put up there. So, um, so I have it, you don't, but it's been helpful. Um, uh, but as we get into old earth, um, the intelligent design is kind of a, a very popular perspective. And it's saying that uh, you know, the days in the creation account are not 24-hour days, but they're, but they're seasons or epochs or, or um, you know, a, a, a prolonged period of time. And, and there's a couple, within this, there's different versions, like the gap theory, which was a popular theory 30, 40 years ago, not so much today, um, which said Genesis 1 was God's creation of everything. And then there was an unbelievable amount of, you know, maybe billions of years before then he finished it off. Um, there's a progressive um, creation theory that says God used a 24 hour day to do something miraculous. And then it followed an unspecified series of time of normal progress until his next miraculous creative event. And so it, it goes to old earth because of that. But um, here are some of the common things. They accept microevolution um, within species and they accept uh, macroevolution to a degree, but they think Adam and Eve are distinct, specially created humans, real humans in history, all right? So they don't accept macroevolution or common descent as a way to bring Adam and Eve to life, okay? But they believe that that Adam and Eve were special creation of God. So uh, the voice of this belief prominent today is a man named Hugh Ross. Um, he has uh, started a foundation called Reasons to Believe. And so you can go to Reasons to Believe, you can go to the Discovery Institute, which is up in Seattle. Both of those are resources that would point to this view of creation. Justin the Martyr in the early 100 ADs had some thoughts regarding um, the timing of God's creation. Uh, Philip Johnson, Michael Behe are um, others who back this up. All right. Um, 
Okay, let's go on to the next theory, is evolutionary creationism. And this, so this really aligns more um, to the thinking of, of most science today. Uh, it says the earth is about 4.5 billion years old. Genesis 1 is a narrative about God creating time and space and matter and natural laws that he sets in place and then he providentially guided those natural processes to produce the universe, life, and humanity as we see it today. And so days were not 24-hour periods. Um, Adam and Eve, they believe are, uh, most of them believe, there's some disagreement on this, but most of them believe that they're the result of common descent evolution, um, macroevolution. Uh, and the the person today most linked to this, who has written the most on it, is a man named Francis Collins. Um, in, in a reminder, Francis Collins or Hugh Ross, um, they are both true followers of Jesus who love the Word of God and, um, and look at it highly as inspired truth from God to us, okay? And they're landing at different places. Um, regarding this. Uh, um, let's see. Hugh, Hugh Ross um, created BioLogos, Bio which is a resource um, that you can go to, the Human Genome Project, which is a project studying DNA um, he was in charge of. And, uh, and as a result of that, he wrote a book called The Language of God, looking at DNA is, is, is a, this is a language. This is a language that, that brings out creation. And, um, and it is only a language that can be created by intelligence. And so it points to a creator. And so he has some interesting things about that um, in his book, Language of God. All right, let me tell you some more concerns I have about this. Just like young earth evolution, if, if we're using science as the basis to our approach and understanding how God did it, um, I have a problem with that because we're, we're going to it, to the Bible to say, okay, here's, here's my understanding of science, and so, so now how is this gonna fit? And uh, I think it can lead us to some wrong places, and especially it can make our, you know, I know people who, are, who um, were gr grew up in um, Christian schools who went away to Christian universities and um, had their young earth views that they were taught growing up attacked as really, really bad science. And those students were in a crisis of faith because they thought that was the only perspective. And I'm learning that, man, the things I learned about the Bible are foolish, and so they throw out everything. And, um, and I think that is a danger of us saying, yeah, we got this all figured out. And I think we can have it figured out in our perspective of what did Moses mean for the Israelites to understand but I don't think it's primarily talking about science. And so for us to think we have that all figured out, I think it puts us in a vulnerable position, especially when science is always growing and changing. And I like science. I'm not an expert in any of the sciences, but I am, a, I am curious about what it's saying and, and how it enlightens us regarding the amazing creation of God. And I think it's wonderful. But as a basis of what I think the Bible is teaching us about God for creation, I, I, I think it's shaky. I mean, 100 years ago, we would all, all would have been talking about pulsating Earth or pulsating cosmos, that the universe is pulsating. It's expanding and then it's contracting. And then, then something happens and it expands and then it contracts. 
facts. And uh, today, really, nobody believes that. It's, it's you know, Big Bang. And yet, even Big Bang today is, is, is starting to be, it's losing, um, losing momentum. Um, partly because they think the earth should be, and, and the, the, the expanding universe should be losing momentum, but it's, but it's expanding more rapidly. And, and so they're not sure what the, so there's real questions being brought in by the highest of scientific minds about does this really fit what we're seeing? And I don't want to link my perspective of God and my theology to an ever-changing science. Um, but I want science to inform me about what God's saying about his creation, okay? Um, but I don't want to figure out God based upon my view of science. So, um, so that makes me nervous. Adam and Eve, I think, are historical, real historical people. I don't think they're representative of humanity. I, I think they were two people. Because uh, I think the Bible says that. You know, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes about Adam and Eve, writes about um, them on, in Romans 5, in 1 Corinthians 15, and in, in, in 1 Timothy 2. And he is referring to them as real people. Real human beings. And so anything that starts taking away from that, I, I start thinking you're getting weaker as far as my biblical understanding of who Adam and Eve are. And, and then the final thought regarding this, in, in young earth and old earth, is I think when Moses was writing to those Israelites and those other people, who, those Gentiles who became followers of God and were traveling with the Israelites in the desert, um, they were not thinking science. They were thinking um, that they were not thinking the natural, what's the natural matter of things and how are the natural laws all, you know, their ancient cosm cosmology was based upon God or gods um, doing things to create us being here. And if they were in Egyptian or Canaan um, cosmo cosmo um, Cosmology, they were thinking it was, it was wars between the gods and, and as an accident of those wars, or it was gods having sex, or, and they didn't realize that it was, this would happen. And, and so we were these, these accidents, but by supernatural divine beings. Or in this case, I think, it, you know, obviously they believed in God, one true God. And so uh, Moses is telling us we are not an accident, we are not an accident you know, a, a byproduct. We, we were made with a purpose for a purpose. And, um, and we were made with intention. Our life has meaning and our life has hope. And I think that was what Moses was getting across. So, so science-based understandings of what this is saying about creation, I'm, I'm skeptical about. And I know there's a lot of good thinking. I know there's people in here who are young earth and people in here who are old earth. And um, so I just want you to know out of the gate, I don't know. I don't know. I think there's a lot of good thinking in both your camps. Um, but those are my concerns about those things. Um, okay, historic creationism. Here's one that you might not have heard of, um, but it's one that's been around for a long time. And um, a lot of Jewish theologians hold to this view. A more recent um, theologian is John Salehammer. Um, who wrote a book called Genesis Unbound, and it's one of the, if you want a resource on this, the, on, on this theory, that would be part of the book I would, I would send you to. By the way, happens to be a schoolmate and friend of the Dorr family, um, Bob and Cheryl. 
Um, he's passed away now, though. Um, Gary Brashears, if any of you have been around in the Portland area for long and have taken classes on theology or whatever, you probably, you may know Gary Brashears. He has taught at Western Seminary for decades. He is a local theologian, very bright, and he holds to the historic creationism view. And, and so it looks at creationism in the world as unspecified age, okay? And so it's probably old earth. But it's, it's assuming God created it all, but it's saying in, John, in Genesis 1, chapter 1, it's kind of the prequel to the rest of the creation story. The prequel is God created everything, okay? God created the heavens and the earth. But also somewhere in that Genesis 1, 1, he also created heavenly beings, angels. There was a revolution, a revolt of some of the angels led by Lucifer. They, they were cast out of heaven. They, they messed with God's created um, universe and brought some chaos into it. And so Genesis 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 3, through the rest of chapter 2, is about God stepping into this um, universe now and saying, I want to make a space that's, that's my temple where I can um, be with my um, creations who are made in my image, humanity, and I can enjoy harmony with them and them with me and them with each other. And so the creation account is about God making a specific place within this universe and within this earth to, um, to enjoy humanity and humanity to join him. And so he's talking about the creation of Eden. Okay, we talked about the Garden of Eden, which was a specific place within the land of Eden. And so they're saying in historic creationism that the creation account is about the creation of that specific area. Eden, and they believe that specific area was the land of Israel, the land promised to Abram, okay? And so they, um, uh, if you read his book, you will see how using other scripture um, directs them to those conclusions, all right? It's not a widely held view, it's an interesting view, and what I like about it is it starts with the Bible, and it just says, what is this saying about creation? And, and what is creation telling us about? And um, according to the Bible. And so one of the things it does, it says this is his using priestly temple language, which I think is true. All throughout the creation account, the, there, there's temple language involved here. And uh, for example, in Genesis 2, verses 15, it says um, you are to work and keep. Okay, you are to work and keep the land. You are to work and keep God's creation. And those two words used together Every other time in the Old Testament that those two words are used together is talking about priestly work in the temple. And so um, the thought is here is that God is creating himself a temple, a temple to dwell with his image bearers in which he will rule, in which he will joy um, being with them and them with, with him. Okay, and so that's the idea around this. Um, Adam and Eve are created historical people. Um, what does this have to do to science? Uh, with science, it doesn't. And, the, and they're overtly saying the creation account wasn't meant to talk about science, all right? It's meant to talk about what is God doing here. And so um, that's that one. Okay, last one, we're going long, I'm sorry. Uh, but... Uh, I literally have 35 minutes in which now are gonna be 45. Okay, um, 
The last one, um, and I'll tip my hand and tell you, I think if I had a land, I would land here. And it it's, has different names and there's different perspectives within this bucket, but I'm gonna put them all together. And so it's, it's the literary framework perspective of creation. It, it's the functional perspective. It's the cosmic temple view of creation. So it's saying, um, it's saying as Moses wrote the, the Israelites, he used the normal week that they would be familiar with, with the Sabbath as his, as his literary structure to talk about what God did in creation. And so it's a literary framework, okay? It is not talking about literal 24-hour days, um, but, well, it is. When, when God created, they think that that was a literal 24-hour, seven days, but it's, it's not really worth looking at how, it's looking at the function. It's not looking at material, all right? When we look at, when we think about and look at this in our Germanic minds, we think of, okay, sequence, chronologically, um, material, substance, what's being formed and how. They thought practicality. They thought function. And so this is a functional view of creation. How did God bring function into his creation versus how God brought matter and the development of matter into his creation, okay? So it's a different perspective. I think it fits the ancient cosmology that they would have been thinking that way. And so um, the first uh, few days of creation is about, one through three is about establishing functions. Because remember it said in, in um, Genesis 1, 1 and 2 that um, the earth was formless and void, okay? And so they're saying it's, it wasn't really functional yet. And then in the rest of creation, he turns formless into form and void into inhabited. And so in days one to three, they're just ways of us to understand that God brought what was formless and brought it into a functional form. He brought it into a shape. He, he made, um, it lacked order. And now there's space for existence. There's seasons, there's days, there's time. And so he went from formless to formed in days one to three. In days four to six, he then fills that space, okay? He goes from void to inhabited, okay? So he creates the space, one to three, he fills the space, four to six. So he, he fills the space with stars, moon, sky, um, uh, sun, sun, fish, fowl, animals, and then ultimately humanity. And so it goes from void to inhabited. And he's saying it is good every time because now it, it, it has function. It is good, it's purposeful, it's useful. The first time he says it's not good, what's he talking about? It is not good for man to be alone, right? Why is it not good for man to be alone? Because um, I created humanity, n number one, to reflect my image. And so it says male and female, he created them. Together you are better reflecting the image of God. You don't fully function just as male or female as good image bearers, but together you give a better perspective of who I am. Um, you, you are to be fruitful and multiply. Alone can't do that. You are to subdue the earth. Alone, much more difficult to do that. And so he says man to be alone is not good. Is that talking about material things? No, it's talking about function. And then 
Therefore, it is good when man and woman um, were created and existed together in community to carry out their functions. They, can, they could do that better, all right? So um, that is a view. Let me tell you, uh, if you want to read more about it, John Walton is uh, probably the, the best writer about that right now. I'll re- recommend a book to you called The Lost World of Genesis 1. Um, he is completely, he is not a scientist, he is a theologian, and he, um, he's a Hebrew scholar, and he's an um, ancient history scholar, and he is totally approaching it from what would, what would the people of Israel be understanding from Moses' writings. And so he's coming at, at the word of God from a good interpretive structure, because that's how we're supposed to do it. And he's um, not coming at it from a scientific perspective, all right? And he's saying, I don't think this is talking to, about science because they wouldn't have been thinking that way. They wouldn't have been thinking that way. We think that way, they don't. They would have been thinking about, you know, how did God functionally pull this off? What was the purpose of it? And how are we to understand our purpose in the midst of it? All right? And so if I were to land, I would land there. But I I land there like this. Because there's problems with all of these theories. Okay? And I don't know really what happened. I don't. I would land here because of the reasons I told you. But um, I don't think it's the primary thing that Genesis 1 and 2 is trying to teach. Um, and we've gone over that before. So th- those are the theories, and I pray that you have a better understanding because people are talking about them and arguing about them as if it is thus saith the Lord, and I don't think it is. I think thus saith the Lord is God created, and he created you for a purpose. And he wanted to have a purpose, harmo- or a, a perfect harmonious relationship with you that you could enjoy the God of all creation. And in Genesis chapter three that we're gonna get to, man, paradise was lost. And it was lost because we chose to walk out from under his rule. And we thought, I can make this better. I, I can be the king of myself. And, and um, I think where the Sabbath day, day seven, where God rested, was that God created his temple to be with his creatures, the image bearers. And he sat on his throne. And he said, here's my temple. I'm sitting on my throne and I'm inviting you into my presence and to um, do my work with me. And that was lost in Genesis 3 where we rebelled against our creator. And our relationship was broken and just about every religion recognizes that. They said we're separated from God. And then those religions say, here's how you can start bridging that gap. And our understanding of God is this crazy thing. We were created in his image and we walked away from him. And the rest of the Bible says, I'm not walking away from you. I'm going after you and I'm offering you hope. How? By God took on our image and became flesh and was rejected by humanity so that he could pay the price of walking away from God. And he took that on himself so that he could offer forgiveness and a way back to being reunited with the creator that we were made to be in relationship with. It's the beauty of his story. I mean, it kills theism 
We don't have a God that created and then just said, hands off, good luck. We have a God who created and cared for and pursued. And so as we just wrap up, let, let's just uh, bow our heads. And uh, in your spiritual journey, today was heady, but, the, the, but what it all comes back to is God's intent and purpose for you. And that he created you with a purpose and he created you as valuable and worthy and for a relationship with him. And maybe in your journey, um, you feel like, yeah, I, I, I need to embrace. I need to embrace this. And if that's you, then you can just talk to God and just let him know, God, I, I, uh, I recognize that you have been pursuing me. I recognize that this creation that you um, create it to rule over and I have walked out from under your rule. And I've actually, for some of my life, I've placed myself on the throne as king and as ruler. And so I ask your forgiveness. And I wanna put you back in your rightful place in my life. And I ask you to forgive me because of what Jesus has done in taking um, really the consequences of rebellion on him so that I can be forgiven and brought back into a relationship with you. Thank you for your forgiveness. And it's in your son's name I pray, amen. If you prayed along with me this morning, then uh, I'd encourage you, just take a second on your way out. As soon as you go through those doors, that there's a center um, station that says, I think it says new here, start here. And... Um, Go there and let them know that you've prayed along with me. And we have some information for, um, for you that has some verses that just kind of reinforce the decision you made today. Um, and then also, like, how do you begin growing in this relationship with God? So it has some just practical ideas there. If you're watching online, go to rollinghills.org slash next steps and um, let us know that you made that decision today. And we will make sure that we get that information to you. We're going to continue to worship with our worship team.